Joe Judge and Jason Garrett bring a new look to a Giants offense that remains dominated by running back Saquon Barkley. Welcome in to another episode of Fantasy Football in 15 here at The Athletic. I'm your host, Michael Beller, joined by Derek Van Riper, DDR. We are starting to close in on the end of this uh, State of the Team series. How are you doing today? I keep getting smarter from it, but I'm doing great. <laughs> Looking forward to breaking down another team with you. Yeah, well, today's team is the New York Giants, and to talk Giants, we bring on our Giants beat writer, Dan Duggan. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you guys? We're good, man. This is uh, a lot of change at the top with this team, right? Uh, we saw the change starting uh, a couple years ago with Saquon Barkley. Then last year, you get uh, Daniel Jones in town. This year, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, Joe Judge at the top. Jason Garrett, the longtime Cowboys coach, now in New York as the offensive coordinator. Joe Judge, of course, making a big leap, at least in terms of uh, job description and title, uh, going from New England special teams coordinator and wide receiver coach to the head coaching job, but we know what Jason Garrett's offensive philosophy is. But starting with Judge, how hands-on is he going to be with the offense? I don't think very, and I think that's kind of a welcome change for the Giants because they sort of went with the you know quote-unquote offensive gurus in their last two hires with, with Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer, and we saw how that turned out. So I think they wanted someone uh, to be more of a CEO type. Uh, I actually think the special teams background that Judge has was appealing to the Giants because in that role, you know, you're dealing with you know pretty much the entire roster. Uh, you have to be involved in all facets of the game. So I mean, I think there's uh, Giants fans have a lot of negative images of you know Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo with their face buried in the play sheet. And I think you know Judge won't be like that at all. I think he's going to delegate to his you know offensive and defensive coordinators. And obviously he'll have input, but you know you brought Jason Garrett in here, who has an extensive background, obviously a ton of experience, way more than Joe Judge. Um, so you're trusting him to run the offense. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be uh, you know kind of Garrett's show with with some input from Judge, but I think Judge will definitely be you know far more in that CEO type of role. I think we have a good grasp on Jason Garrett's style at this point, just based on what we saw over his nine years in Dallas, and especially recently, you know Ezekiel Elliott. Had 1,169 carries over 56 games over four seasons with Garrett as his head coach in Dallas. Uh, led the league in rushing yards per game three times. And that brings me to Saquon Barkley. Could we see Barkley's first 300 carry season this year? Well, I mean, yeah, I think you certainly look at Dallas. I mean, you go back before Zeke when they had, you know, guys like DeMarco Murray. I mean, they definitely, you know, kind of featured that workhorse back. And, and certainly um, the Giants have one. Uh, but I, I wonder if. You know, Saquon is a little bit of a different skill set than sort of those uh, running backs that Garrett had in Dallas. So I think if you're just going to, you know, hand the ball to Saquon, you know, 300 plus times, that's fine. But I think really the way to, you know, really maximize his abilities to, is to involve involve him a lot in the passing game. So, uh, you know, I think for Saquon, the, the barometer is always probably gonna be more touches than carries because I think you want to get the ball in his hands as, much, as many times as possible. But it doesn't necessarily have to be carries in the way that Zeke did it in Dallas, I think. Um, you'd be kind of limiting sort of his upside. I think you want to get him involved in the passing game. And, you know, he had a lot of targets in his first two seasons, but I still think one of the big frustrations in Shermer's offense that a lot of those targets were sort of like third and long checkdowns and that type of thing. And I think we want to see, you know, some more of the Alvin Kamara type stuff where you're actually using him as like a, as a wide receiver or just, you know, getting him the ball in, in different parts of the field. So I think that'll be interesting to see if Garrett uh, is able to unlock that because, I mean, I think we all know Saquon has that, in his arsenal, but I really don't think it's been fully unleashed in his first two years. 
Yeah, you mentioned the big target numbers that he had, 121 in his rookie year, 73 last year, of course, missed three games last season also. So the per-game numbers, the per-game touches and opportunities for Saquon certainly have always been there. That's not going to change this season. If we do look at it through the lens of touches, last year, uh, Ezekiel Elliott under Jason Garrett got 350-plus touches. That was Basically a baseline for him. Of course, he missed some time due to injury in his career, due to suspension. Uh, But what ends up happening with Saquon in that department? Should we expect 350-plus touches, something on the order of what we've seen from Christian McCaffrey in Carolina? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think this offense, from the day they took Saquon Barkley with the number two pick, you know, it had to run through him. I mean, they they obviously invested quite a bit in him. Uh, He's obviously a unique talent. So uh, he's not a guy you use situationally or as a decoy. I mean, they have to get him the ball uh, as much as possible. I mean, we've seen even last year with the injuries, and he he definitely had some some subpar games as he came back. I mean, he finished the season uh, looking like, you know, the the Saquon we'd seen the year before. Uh, He's just such a big play threat. So obviously you want to maximize your ability to make big plays. You give the ball to your best playmaker as much as possible. So like I said, I think maybe um, the – the form of the, the touches might be different than what Garrett did in Zeke, but I think he certainly showed that when you have a, you know, a great player in the backfield there, you just find ways to get him the ball as much as possible. Looking back at last season, all things considered, Daniel Jones had a pretty good rookie season, showed some flashes of potential, uh, over 3,000 yards, 24 TDs, 12 picks, 6.6 YPA in the 12 starts that he made. Where are the Giants hoping for the most improvement from Jones in year two? I mean, the, the easiest, the obvious one is just ball security. Because uh, really, if you look at just his kind of like pure passing stats, they're they're really good for a rookie. It's just when you factor in how many times he put the ball on the ground. It wasn't really interceptions. I mean, he had a two-to-one touchdown interception ratio. I mean, you'll, you'll take that um, from a rookie quarterback, but it was just the fumbles. Uh, he put the ball on the ground 18 times, lost 11 of them. Uh, that's just way too much, you know, obviously. And that's only in 12 starts. Uh, so they, that, that needs to come down because I think that they saw – you know enough of him as a passer and then obviously the other stuff that really doesn't pertain to fantasy but just intangibles and leadership he has that stuff uh, off the charts so uh, for him to take the next step I think passing wise yeah he'll you know make some natural progressions you would assume although we've seen with you know a guy like Baker Mayfield or whoever it's not always linear uh, and guys can take a step back but I think that they're confident uh, what they saw from Daniel Jones as a passer last year is, you know, sort of what they'll get, if not more going forward. But he really has to clean up sort of the pocket awareness and the ball security. Um, because, you know, again, fantasy is one thing, but that lost the Giants games that they were, you know, losing the turnover battle. And, and you know, he put him in some bad situations there. But he also had games where he threw, you know, four touchdowns and no interceptions. So, I mean, that's very promising for a rookie. Um, you know, he's worked diligently at improving the ball security. We'll find out if that's something that, uh, you know, can be improved or is, you know, maybe just his pocket awareness uh, never going to be a strength and, and maybe that could be an Achilles heel. But I think, you know, by and large, when you look at his rookie year, there's a lot to be encouraged about. And I think the Giants uh, are confident that he'll take the next step in year two. Now, in a normal offseason at this point, uh, we're heading into the end of June, you wouldn't have seen much of the team together on the field. Uh, in this offseason, you haven't seen any of the team together on the field, and we're not really sure how much of every team we're going to be able to see on the field uh, together this summer. But just from what you have been able to gather, is there a sense of how his duties will change going from what Pat Shermer did to what Jason Garrett is going to want to do? Uh, no, I mean, I, you know, I think that like, obviously there's different schemes. I mean, Joe Judge said that, you know, right off the bat that there's really no carryover. I think that's a little overstated because I mean, there's only so many ways you can, you know, only so many routes that guys can run and only so many, you know, you can call inside zone, outside zone. It's not, it's really not that complicated. I, I honestly think 
Uh, too much has been made of the fact that Daniel Jones has to learn a new offense. He had to learn a new offense last year. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not like this is this unprecedented thing. He came from college, came to the NFL, had to do something totally different. And I would say, granted, not having the you know on-field work this spring is certainly a disadvantage. But I think it's, it was harder last year because again, you're coming into something totally new. You've never seen an NFL defense, and he was the number two quarterback. You know, it wasn't like they were catering everything to him. He was Eli's backup. He was not getting first-team reps, so he's getting fewer reps. And again, things were catered to what does Eli like to do? And then all of a sudden. Uh, they, they flipped that switch real quick there in the middle of the season and, and he was learning on the fly. So I think he's in a much better place in terms of, okay, like I've seen this defensive look. So maybe what Jason Garrett, you know, calls might be different, but he's going to just be much more comfortable in what he's seeing from defenses. So yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, if I look at Dak Prescott's skill set and Daniel Jones, I don't know that they're drastically different. I'm not saying they're identical, but I don't think Dak was doing things that Daniel Jones can't do, or at least, you know, some you know comparable level to you know i mean it's not like they're going to totally run this offense that daniel jones is going to be completely foreign to him so I, I don't think it'll be a big adjustment you know again i think he showed last year uh that he could pick up a new offense so there's really no reason to believe uh, even in this crazy offseason that, that he'll have you know any major struggles picking up what garrett runs the interesting thing about this offense i think there could be as many as five different players who could end up leading this team in receiving let's look at the wide receiver core in particular do the Giants have a clear number one receiver between Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, or Darius Slayton that fantasy owners could kind of lean to as the guy who's going to take over the largest share of the targets out of that group? No, and I mean, really, as I think about it from a, from a fantasy lens, I think this team's going to be a disaster to try and play a wide receiver because I think you could have any one of those three guys have, you know, eight catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. And just as easily the next week they come back and have like one catch for 14 yards. Because I, I think it's, there is no real pecking order. I think, you know, Slayton is certainly exciting. And, and, you know, he got a lot of opportunities last year, though, because guys like Saquon were out, guys like Evan Engram, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, they were all out. So someone sort of had to get the targets. Slayton got them and made the most of them. But now if all those guys come back and stay healthy, like, listen, that's a good problem for the Giants to have. But does Slayton sort of fall back in the pecking order? That's the thing we don't really know. I, I think the thing that works in his advantage is, He's like the true, you know, outside wide receiver, downfield threat. Shepard and Tate, we never really got to see them play a, a lot of snaps together. So we still don't know exactly how that's going to work. Because from the moment they signed Tate, the, the big question mark is like, well, okay, you get two good slot receivers. Like, how's that going to work? You need to have, you know, you presumably you'd want a guy who's more of an, an outside player. And you know, Shepard did that a bit more. But again, he missed a lot of time last year with the concussions. And, and then Tate wasn't on the field early in the season with uh, the suspension. So we don't know exactly how that's all going to jive. I mean, I, to me, it doesn't feel like a sort of a perfect mix if you're in 11 personnel. I mean, obviously you got Slayton on the outside, Tate on the slot, and then Shepard on the other you know, outside. I don't know that that is the best usage of Shepard's uh, skill set. Um, so no, I mean, they don't have this like clear cut uh, number one wide receiver if you want to you know, keep going back to say Dallas comparisons. There's no Amari Cooper. Um, you know, maybe they can, they have enough weapons that uh, they'll be able to make it work. But from a fan's perspective, I think it's going to be a nightmare trying to figure out, you know, which guy, uh, you know, will be the guy week to week. Because I think all three of those receivers are talented. But again, there's not one guy that you can rely on to just be a monster and, and just, you know, produce regardless of the opponent and the game plan. I don't think it'll it'll be that way at all. Yeah, it does sort of have the feeling of like a Frankenstein's monster build, but it has three arms and one leg instead of two arms and two legs. For sure, <laughs> it's this odd odd mix of players. Uh, something I found very interesting when we were looking at this group of receivers is that Golden Tate had just about the quietest 49 catch, 676 yard, six touchdown 
uh, season in just 11 games that you're ever going to see. I mean, that comes out to almost 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns over a 16-game season if you extrapolate it. And yet, uh, by early drafts, uh, by early drafters, he is the one going last. You've got uh, Darius Slayton at wide receiver 39, Sterling Shepard at wide receiver 50, and Golden Tate way down wide receiver 59, 20 full wide receiver picks behind Darius Slayton. Uh, just from your look at the Giants, does that add up? Does that make any sense? <laughs> it's, it's Like I said, it's really hard to, to figure out a pecking order. I think I understand why people are you know valuing Slayton for a couple of reasons because, again, he does have the big play potential um, whereas I think Tate, you might see a lot of like six catch for 48 you know, yards. It doesn't really do a heck of a lot for you. And also Tate turns 32 before the season starts. So, you know, with Slayton, you feel like this guy might be on the, you know, the ascension. Whereas I think it's, you know, Tate has been, you know, pretty consistent. But, um, you know, the production has tailed off a little bit. Although he did say like he was on pace there. And it was sort of self-inflicted why he couldn't play 16 games because he missed four with the, uh, the PED suspension. Uh, but no, it, it definitely flew under the radar. He had an unbelievable knack. For just making big plays, um, you know, because the thing that was amazing to watch him is we know he does the stuff, you know, underneath and moves the chains and has that kind of uncanny ability to pick up a few yards after every catch. Like that's what we knew, but he made some plays down the field that I really didn't know was in his his arsenal. And, and it's funny because he was never open. Like he doesn't get any separation. He's not a burner by any stretch. Um, but he would just sort of, you know, have a nose for the ball or whatever cliche you want to use where. Um, you know, there was a few deep touchdowns. He had, he had one against Miami with Eli where he kind of juggled the ball through traffic and came out the other end with it. Uh, the Patriots, I think it was the first uh, touchdown pass the Patriots defense allowed was uh, a great throw by Jones into a tiny window and, and same deal where Tate kind of popped up in the air and, and came down with it and ran for like a 60-yard touchdown. But uh, I don't know that, you know, those plays felt a little fluky. I don't know that you can count on that. But, I mean, certainly when he was out there last year, he did produce. But, you know, the 11 games, I think, probably gives people pause when you, you look at, like, the, the raw stats. that They don't jump off the page because he you know, only missed five games. Uh, and I do think, you know, just the age factor, you have to wonder at some point, uh, is, is this production going to you know drop off? I mean, no signs last year that that's the case. But I, I just think that's the reality as the receiver, you know, gets into his mid-30s. Evan Ingram back for another year, lost half of last season due to injury, got up to a great start at two 100-yard games, uh, scored in uh, two of the first three games last season as well, really fell off though once that foot injury started to become an issue. Where does he fit in with this group of receivers and in an offense with a high-volume pass catching back like Saquon Barkley? Does Ingram kind of have the same maddening week-to-week inconsistency that we're worried about with the receivers here? I think to an extent, I, I do think if he's in the lineup, I think he'd be a little bit more reliable because, I mean, again, going back to Garrett's offense, I mean, granted, Jason Witten's a, a different type of player, but, I mean, he just had a Hall of Fame tight end. So clearly, uh, you know, Garrett is going to feature tight ends and he has one who has, you know, some pretty dynamic receiving skills in Engram. Um, there will definitely be games where, you know, he probably doesn't have a ton of targets or a ton of catches, but um, for a tight end, I mean, his upside is, is through the roof because when he does play and he is involved, you know, he makes big plays. I mean, I, you know, Daniel Jones is first start uh, down in Tampa last year the whole game turned when Engram caught you know a little crossing route and took it I think it was 75 yards to the house on like the first play of the second half and uh, started a big comeback but it's just a, a play that you're not gonna see too many tight ends you know take a 10-yard drag route and just outrun the entire secondary from the opposing team and, and that's the thing that you know kind of keeps everyone just so tantalized with Engram and then also so frustrated that he just can't stay on the field um, you know so I think if if ever he can play you know, 16 games or even his rookie year, you know, he played 15, um, you know, get back to that. He, I think he'd be, you know, a productive player because he is a, a matchup problem. 
um, you know, for defenses and, and listen to fantasy, you're not worried about the fact that the guy, you know, can't block me or you. So that's not a, that's, that's not a concern. Um, you know, he may be his playing time. Uh, will go down a little bit if they're going to be a little bit more of a, a smash mouth team and they want more of a blocker at tight end, but he is still going to definitely be featured uh, in the passing game. So if he stays healthy uh, again, I just think the upside is really high because I mean, he can make plays that, that not a lot, a lot of tight ends can. All right, that's New York Giants and our New York Giants beat writer, Dan Duggan. Dan, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you can follow Dan on Twitter at DDuggan21, D-U-G-G-A-N, and that is going to do it for this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Also, be sure to check out Dan and Tim McMaster on the New York Football Podcast. If you've been enjoying uh, New York Football Podcast or Fantasy Football in 15 on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, please do rate, review, subscribe. We really would appreciate that. And if you are on iTunes, Spotify, one of those other platforms and not an athletic subscriber, you can get a free 30-day trial at theathletic.com slash football in 15. For Derek Van Riper and Dan Duggan, I'm Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15. We'll be back with you tomorrow.